what it's like to be the bad man, to be the sad man behind blue eyes. No one knows what it's like to be hated, to be faded, to telling only lies. But my dreams they aren't as empty as my conscience seems to be. So Cindy Michener comes along and says, I love this song. I love me a little bit of R.E.M. Um, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I've said every panel has to have a music oink. I am that person. So so let's bring Andy in. Kia ora, Andy. Are we listening to R.E.M.? Definitely not. (laughs) Sorry, Andy. Who are we listening to, Andy? I'm a huge fan of R.E.M. as well. Oh, very good. <laughs> so who are we listening to who didn't hear you? Oh, it's The Who. Vocal chains of Roger Daltrey and The Who. Yep, and the song is called? Behind Blue Eyes. And also it, covered by Limp Biscuit later on in the... Yeah, you didn't have to 90s. say that. You didn't have to say that. Um, Andy, isn't it the most beautiful song we've ever heard? Excellent. I, I'm a huge Who fan and, and I love it. And uh, I play in a, a local covers band here in Kongamata, uh, uh-huh. and we cover that one as well. I, 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 I was a teenager when I discovered this David Slack, uh, Who's Next by The Who, and the ground shifted underneath me. Hell yeah. Something happened. Yeah, yeah. You know what um, I'm saying? Yeah, won't get fooled again. Just, just absolutely stuns Won't you. get fooled and, again. And, 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 and you Barbara just play O'Reilly. it again and again and again, and, oh, and yep. you know, nothing, nothing winds up like that. It's yep. great. And in your covers band, do you actually cover REM? Yes. Oh, see, yeah. Who, who, stop, who can stop derailing me? the Who conversation, <laughs> Cindy? <laughs> My husband will be so cross yeah. that I didn't know. Okay, Andy <laughs> Fungamatar, when's the next? When's the next gig? Um, well, hopefully in a month or so. We're, 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 we're looking forward to another live gig. We just play uh, local venues in the area. Very good. Nice to have you on the program. Uh, so, yeah, behind blue eyes, it is. Uh, you're on the panel. A lot of support coming. Um, actually, quite a few people saying he shouldn't have a state funeral. Um, mm. uh, others saying uh, he should. So, yeah, interesting. Now, um, last week, we talked about National's agriculture policy the day it was announced of the 19 plans, the restarting of live exports, and the promise to limit foreign investment in farms which they planned to convert to carbon forests, were two key ones. Winter grazing, another one. We discussed the live exports issue with Deborah Ashton from SAFE. They were very disappointed with it. The last shipment left New Zealand last week, 5,500 cattle to China. But let's look at the policy rollout again, this time with Richard Young. Now, Richard's a sheep and beef farmer in Tapanui and director of Wolves of New Zealand. Richard, welcome to the panel. Afternoon, Wallace. How are you? Good, thank you. You said you were a bit unsure. What aspects of Nationals' policy that are you a bit unsure about? Explain it to us. 
Oh, look, I think there was some really good things in there, and, and RSC workers was one of those. Um, you know, there's no doubt we need more labour around our vineyards and, and through horticulture and through our meat processing facilities and to bring in a pay parity so those overseas workers are getting paid the same as our local workers is, is good in my view. Um, so so that was that was the, the positive. I think there was some other things in amongst it and I, I think we've made really good progress around environmental issues, you know, protecting our waterways over the last, you know, five to ten years and a lot of that has been done um, through a degree of regulation. And regulation is not uh, impacting those that are already doing a good job. It's bringing those laggards, if you want to call them, up to a standard where we're actually getting good results and we're starting to see them with improved waterways. And, you know, down here in Southland, for instance, you know, much better uh, practices around winter grazing. Um, and a lot of it's just planning and understanding your own farm. It's it's not it's not a, a big right. big ask. And I've actually been speaking to some guys that have gone through the resource consent process just laterally, and they, they said it was actually really good, pretty simple, and okay. um, yeah, n- nothing to be scared of. So well, I'm just just worried that you know taking regulations away will take us back in time. Okay, so you're saying before we go to the panel, we've 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 come this far, and the international market is starting to demand expectations around sustainability. We know that for what Marks and Spencer wants out of um, markets like ours, that you are saying be very very careful with the regulations bonfire. Exactly, and I, I think you know the the customers overseas are demanding that we are best in class, and you know to to come out and say we are best in class like. You know, some pundits in New Zealand are doing without being able to back it up um, is not going to cut the mustard offshore. And to maintain that premium position in market that we have, um, we we need to be doing this stuff, no doubt about it, and doing it very well. David, thanks for this, Richard. I, I'm, I appreciate hearing this this point of view because for the last year or so, we've been hearing something some somewhat less. Um, positive and and um, recognizing of the need to change. H- how do you feel? You your view would stand in um, alongside your, your your colleagues on the on on, on the farms. You, would you say that you speak with a lot of people who see it this way? You know, I, I heard you say a moment ago that uh, you see laggards in here, and I don't want to put you on the spot here at all. But but yeah, but, yeah. but I'm wondering where where do you feel your position sits with most most farmers? You know. Oh, look, I, I, I think there's there's almost two sides of the spectrum here. There's the, there's the believers, um, and then there's the non-believers. And there's a big a big amount of people in the middle that we have to take along on the ride, and they just don't know where to go. So, you know, look, I'm I'm probably at one end to a degree. I, I I'm not going to argue that there hasn't been too much regulation, and some of the regulation has been has been poorly put together. Um, I'm I'm not arguing that, but I I'm arguing that if we Need to maintain their premium position in market. We actually have to get on and do this this stuff and portray um, a, a best picture of us to the world. Mm-hmm. So, Richard, I um, uh, uh, agree with your view. I uh, know a, a lot of farmers, and particularly the younger ones, they do care about the environment. They are progressive, and um, you know they do want to ensure that they are doing the best they can in the most sustainable fashion. And I think um, that a lot of the progress has 
that has been made is because of the legislation, but um, perhaps you know there's a middle ground yeah. between scrapping it all and the volume that we have. Do right. you do you think that um, there is a way of ensuring that we keep up the good work, so to speak, but without so much sort of red tape? Yeah, I, I, I sort of agree with that, but I, I think it's been the pace of regulation more than the regulation that has been the issue. And, you know, I, I think farmers have been faced with, you know, you, you've got to be profitable to be environmentally friendly. Like, you, you, you've got to have, you've got to be profitable first. And, you know, that's the challenge when you've got a lot of regulation coming at, coming at you at the speed it has come. Um, so I I, 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 I see the speed as more of the issue here. The, what, the speed that it was introduced or the speed that it's going to be taken away? No, the speed that it was introduced. Right. Yeah. Bit of, quite a bit of response here for you, Richard. Uh, I'm loving hearing what Richard's saying. He's gutsy saying it because there is a lot of peer pressure on farmers not to speak up like him. Um, good on you, Richard. Yeah, well, you know, we, ultimately we need, to, we need to be best in market. And, you know, this is part of the package that, that will endure over time and if we don't do it we'll you know our, our beef will be just be chucked in the same basket as brazilian beef which will mean we won't command a premium so interesting yeah very yeah. interesting yeah. yeah hey richard really nice to um chat hope to we hope you can uh, chat again on the panel very good thanks wallace have a good day there you go that's sheep and beef farmer and tapanui director of wolves nz richard young he's saying that um we just have to get premium if we want premium dollar uh that meat to be top dollar, we need um, to actually be very careful in how we go about it. And big big change is coming. Yeah. You know, well, I, I think it's not just premium wallets, but he's actually talking about sustainability, about you know how some of our practices need to be managed a bit better to ensure that we can yeah. continue. Now, you're going to be hearing a lot about state funerals in the next few days. Uh, this is an excellent question by Cindy on who qualifies for a state funeral. And an excellent example, the physicist. But I think the answer belies logical definition. Simply put, some people's lives touch and divine generation. Barry Humphrey's life certainly did. He is one of Australia's greatest exports, loved and admired by all. Scotty says, Wallace, it's just such a double delight listening to David Slack as his fresh newsletter pops in my email. <laughs> and go the who and even Cindy's REM. Thanks, I am, says Scotty. I, I Thanks, am Scotty. very grateful, Scotty. Thank you very there much you for go. that. What a, what a lovely Monday for Scotty, eh? He's listening to David and you... What What's that it? newsletter what, called? What 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 Non-commercial RNZ. I, I always forget... Well, I, I must subscribe one day. Oh, you really must. You're missing out on yeah. a treat. Missing out on more than a fielding, Wallace. Okay. All right. <laughs> David Slack, as you've heard there. <laughs> now, if you're younger than 40... Uh, by the way, before the show, we, uh, we've had a big response. Haven't, haven't, uh, if you've just joined us, we are going to be talking about a thing called a Rally 20. My producer said, what's that? Is that, is that another strain of COVID? I said, No. No, a rally 20 was a thing. You'll find out about it uh, in about five minutes' time. But to now, if you're younger than 40, you won't recall passenger rail in Taranaki connecting regional towns. The service stopped in 1983. Do you have memories of the passenger rail in Taranaki? Text me, 2101. Well, 
interest is bubbling up again. They're getting um, town halls that are full of people saying, hey, we want it restored. With us is Taranaki spokesperson for Save Our Trains, Soraya Sidhu Singh. Kia ora, Soraya. By the way, not the same group as Restore Passenger Rail, who've been in the news actually today again. Can you tell me about the Save Our Trains group? Yeah, sure. Um, Save Our Trains is a national advocacy body for passenger rail, meaning uh, long-distance interregional passenger trains. We were started in 2021 as a result of a petition to ask KiwiRail to revive the the Northern Explorer, the Coastal Pacific and the Transalpine, which were threatened with closure after COVID. That was... uh, that was a successful petition and, and a good thing too because those are enormously successful, well-patronised trains despite eye-wateringly high ticket prices. Ah. Um, and now we, we advocate to uh, bring back um, passenger rail services that New Zealand once had, uh, greater frequency on all the um, other lines and affordable tickets. Yeah, I mean, for, for, for thinking now, it might seem um, as somewhat a pipe dream to connect these smaller towns, but some of the satellite towns, uh, Sarai, actually really are growing now, aren't they? If you look at, for example, Levin, planning to house another twenty to 30,000 people, if the numbers start going up and regionalism gets wider, um, there could be a case to be made. Oh, absolutely. And that was a, uh, something that we heard a lot in our meetings in the South Island, actually, that uh, people really identified passenger rail as a way of taking the pressure off the housing crisis in the big centres, because suddenly you're allowing people to actually, you know, live more easily, uh, you know, outside of town and, and, and get into town. So, yeah, that's um, the housing aspect of it is, is a really, really important one. Cindy. And Soraya, the, the way I understand it is all the rail, all the tracks are already there, right? So, I mean, what actually has to happen? I mean, the whole district has been designed around rail. So um, do you just need Kiwi Rail to, you know, find a train and say, OK, off we go? Or do the tracks need uh, yeah. a lot of work? How do we, you know, what has to happen? Infrastructure. Yeah. We, um, we actually have a freight line currently running from uh, Port Taranaki and it joins up at the ma- with the main trunk line, goes through South Taranaki, joins up at the main trunk line um, quite near Palmerston North. Oh, right. So, so the tracks are definitely in usable condition. Unfortunately, our link between uh, Stratford um, and uh, Tauramanui has been closed for a little while. But again, uh, Kiwi Rail were talking about opening that a couple of years ago. So hopefully um, now that there's more talk of infrastructure resilience, they might be thinking of that again. Um, one of the big things is that we're lacking uh, stations in some of the main centres, such as New Plymouth and Whanganui. But an interesting thing that came up at our meeting is there's actually a developer who's uh, developing an entertaining, uh, entertainment and housing zone uh, near the railway line in New Plymouth and wants to uh, include a railway station in that as part of a, a gift to the people of Taranaki, mm. which we thought was a wonderful sort of way to kickstart things. Sarah, I want to thank you very much for doing this because I'm a huge rail fan. I was on uh, last on the uh, Northern Explorer just before the, it got uh, mothballed uh, for that uh, time that you you speak of, and I'm uh, everything you say makes sense. There's one aspect I'm hope I, I haven't seen debated as much as I'd hope it would. And I don't know if, it, if it's it's a runner or not, but the argument I I've wanted to make is. 
when the government looks at putting money into this, it's looking at where the viability of Kiwi Rail and saying what kind of return on the business is this getting. But this is not a question they ask when they look at putting roads available to people. And and I see these as, as the same proposition. They're both infrastructure, and 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 it puts rail at a greater great disadvantage. And and I would really like to see that, you know, to use the free market vernacular, that that playing field levelled. And uh, it, it just seems such a shame to me that, and, and I suppose now I'm, I'm, I'm exhorting rather than asking you a question, but I suppose my, yeah. quest, my question is, uh, are you working that into the argument at all? And, and, and has, it got a, has it got a viability? Oh, anybody who's looked at the legislation and the way that we set up the funding of rail compared with state highways notices that it's completely different and it's made incredibly difficult to fund rail. So we've got the situation where um, it's been put to regional councils, but they've also, in the legislation, it also said they don't have to fund it. Mm. They have to pay KiwiRail to run it, and yet KiwiRail has been told not that they've got to, you know, create these wonderful social, environmental and economic benefits that regional councils are aiming for, but they've got to profit from it. They've been mm. given no other things that they've got to do. Like, for example, we know that passenger rail is a huge lifesaver. It's 20 times safer than driving. Yeah. You know, 350 people die on our roads every year, but KiwiRail are not asked to take that into account. So, yeah, we've got this very different system, and it does make it really hard to sort of, you know, um, weigh up, do we widen this road or do we um, bring back this legacy rail line? Now, the government had a... Um, had an inquiry into passenger rail last year. We're hoping for the uh, um, outcome soon. And I just really noticed that so many people raised the fact that, you know, we're, we've got a funding centre, funding situation that disincentivises rail. And yes, it's one of our most valuable um, assets that we can use. Final thoughts, Cindy. Soraya, if they did a business case with a, you know, a triple bo- bottom line, not just a fiscal bottom line, um, mm. that would certainly bring in things like the death toll, the environment, you know, the use of uh, the fossil fuels more and all of that. If it was a triple bottom line business case, uh, would it stack up? I don't think that that would solve all the problems. It would definitely help. Um, but, but things like, for example, regional councils having to part fund, um, obviously they've got a very low sort of re- revenue raising ability compared to central government. And then you've got Kiwi Rail creaming their profit off the top. So it's, it's more, I think, that, that, um, that you know, that there are, there, we know about the benefits, but then it's, it's how it has to be funded that makes it almost yeah. impossible. And the other thing is, is rail is um, inherently interregional. And imagine getting like, you know, three regional councils along a rail route to right. agree on anything. <laughs> nice to have you on the like program, water. Soraya. Well, I'm sure we'll come back with us again. That's Soraya Sidhu Singh, Taranaki spokesperson for SAVE. Our trains. Finally, on today's panel, chances are many of you might have heard of a Rally 20. Fat Freeze Drop even dropped the track about them. On my Rally 20, my producer wasn't quite sure what they were, but boy, oh boy, a Rally 20. The stuff of dreams for me. Never got to own one. How about you? Well, on social media, I came across a gentleman who has just sold his prized Rally 20 to a collector. Rob, kia ora. Good to have you on the panel. 
Kia Wallace, how are you? Well, we've had more response about Rally 20s than probably state funerals or nationals farming policy. Uh, for example, here's one. I own several Rally 20s plus a healing cruiser. Um, I had a rare RSW, even tinier wheels. How come you were in possession of Rally 20? Oh, mate, it just, um, it, it, it was a nostalgia trip. I saw it on Trade Me, I had to buy it, and then after I bought it, I, it was in Dunedin, I realised I had to get up to Auckland. But it just took me back to the 70s, and I, I was a kid of the 70s in Hastings, where Rally 20s were built. Um, oh. mate, if you weren't uh, if you weren't ride, out riding your Rally 20, I mean, you were nobody. You, everybody had one. <laughs> it's like every everybody's dad or friend had Knew somebody at Morrison's. I don't know whether there was a, a mate's rate deal, but there, there were a lot of kids riding them, and they were great. James tweeted, actually, they had a unique frame concept, just a single strut from seat post to headset, which gave it a highly practical gender-neutral appeal, because back then most bikes that accommodated a skirt were labelled girls' bikes. Oh, it's true. Yeah, they- Oh, sorry. Yeah. David first, and then we'll come back sorry. to Rob. David. Well, that's right. Um, these were uh, This was an object of envy because it was demonstrably cool for everybody. And, Wasn't and, it? And once that becomes the case, there's no question that you've got to have one. And, and it was an object of envy for me. I didn't have one. No, too expensive. And, and, um, uh, very cool, though. What about you, Cindy? <laughs> no, we lived on a hill, so we, didn't, we, we made our father drive us everywhere. Hey, so, Rob, how much did you have to pay for it? Well, it was a it was a particularly good one. It had been a, a demo bike, and uh, wow. it, was, it was sitting in a it had been sold at auction and forgotten about, and it, was, it had never really been ridden. It was in beautiful condition. Wow. Oh my God, so mint! I picked it up for three hundred and fifty bucks. Ah, because I that well, that's a bargain. Because I'm looking online now, and you can get a Reed Girls Classic Twenty for two hundred dollars, and there's a Rally Twenty Twenty Two for two twenty four. Oh, Rob. If you own a if you if you own a Rally Twenty, hang on to it because it's really <laughs> worth gold. <laughs> You're paying five, five grand for a chopper, what? and they're hanging them on their walls. Yeah. Have you oh. got? Have, have you come across a Lincoln Tucker box as well, Rob? <laughs> yeah, boy, boy, a Lincoln toy. Yeah. I, I got yeah. a blue one for my ninth birthday in nineteen seventy nine. My parents saved. I loved it. They had it for my. It's just a reminder, Rob, that. Um, a joy in a good bit of design because that's what the Rally 20 yeah. was. Eh? It was just good, good design. They were strong bikes. They were built from um, uh, the Glenbrook steel. It was actually at the, the, the good old Labour Party of the day. They incentivised local manufacturing and the bikes were made by Morrison Industries and Hastings. Yeah, My yeah. brother even worked there at one stage for the high school job, riveting the badges onto the front of them. But <laughs> yeah, they, they, they sold thousands of them. They were as strong as anything. Um, in fact, they were stronger than the British bikes and they were better than the wow. British bikes because yeah. we had backpedal brakes and we could do really the, good skids. Oh, the, yes, skids. right. Yes. The Rally 20 skid, Rob, uh, and now you're a mature, grown man who should know no. better. Have you? Did my, you practice my, a few skids? Is, my neighbours have been watching this old guy screaming up and down the street, jumping curbs, and you know, wondering what the hell's going on. So you're actually riding it. You're not going to keep it in its mint condition. You sold it. No, well, that's why I sold it. I, it was just, I, I would have wrecked it. I just loved it so much. And, and there was a guy who really wanted it, and I let him have it. And he's going he's gonna to love it and put it on display. He's actually got a couple of choppers as well. So yeah. Did you make a lot of money, what? Rob? <laughs> Sorry? 
to you when you yeah. when oh, you sold it for quite a lot more than you paid it. Hey Rob, it? what was cooler? Remind me what was cooler. What, what was the was the chopper with the glitter banana seat cooler, or was the HMX five hundred a bit cooler? Uh, I think the HMX. I mean, the Rally Twenty was before the BMX bikes. The chopper was a funny looking thing, mate. They were only any good riding very slowly in a straight line. <laughs> oh yeah, they were stupid. Yeah, crazy. and the A-pangers. Yeah. Oh, Rob, you're bringing the memories to us this afternoon, mate. Actually, have you hey, got time? Ta- sorry, you've got a chance. Oh. There's a great picture of George Best riding one. If you look on the internet, yeah. you'll see him riding one. And I, I, I always wondered whether he'd lost his driver's license from drinking. <laughs> That's why he was pictured on it. But um, yeah, there's a good picture of him. He was the greatest footballer at that time, yeah. riding a Rally Twenty in yeah. the streets of London. <laughs> yeah, you've sold us, Rob. You've rounded out the show. Thanks for the memories. That's the Rally Twenty story there. David Slack, Cindy Michener, you've been wonderful this afternoon. I'm Wallace Chapman. I am back Wednesday, 3.45. See you then. No one knows what it's like to be the bad man, to be the sad man behind.